Sound Design. Good morning, Nathan, and uh, welcome to Roger Nathan's show about Enfire versus Gradient Array. <laughs> and we're only going to talk for five hours. Sound Design. Sound Design Live is produced independently by me, Nathan Lively, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome to Sound Design Live, the home of the world's best online training and sound system tuning that you can do at your own pace from anywhere in the world. I'm Nathan Lively, and today I'm joined by the creative director at Void Acoustics, Raj Mogale. Raj, welcome to Sound Design Live. Good morning, Nathan, and uh, welcome to Roger Nathan's show about Enfire versus Gradient Array. <laughs> and we're only going to talk for five hours. Yes, yeah, so we're going to talk for five hours about Enfire versus Gradient. But before we do that, Raj, um, tell me about like some of your favorite, maybe one of your favorite test tracks. Like after you get a sound system set up, what's one of the first things you'll want to listen to 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 kind of get a sense of it? That well, that really depends because w- w- what are you playing? Who are you playing to? Are you doing demos to people? So, so w- w- which scenario are you referring to? Because I can think of about eight different things where I would set a system up to play to people. Sure, let's let's think of a scenario. So, let's say you're doing a medium-sized club install, and this is just for you. You're there alone, right? Okay. Yeah, I would play, obviously, the, the style and the genre that the club is going to play. Uh, you know, if it's an all-out dance club or techno club, then I play something that's obviously going to reflect what, what will be played. And nothing too good, you know. I, I quite <laughs> like some of those kind of tracks with really screaming synth and vocal kind of leads in that, you know, you wouldn't normally play, but it's what's going to be played. So you have to allow for that and yeah set up accordingly it's very very different if i'm doing if i've just set the system up and the nightclub you know owner and all the staff turn up for the first time then yeah i'm pulling out nice recordings and uh yeah hopefully getting them all in tears which i've done a couple of times that's good nice yeah Yeah. so that's interesting so do you do a little bit of part of your research is to kind of find out what music they'll be playing there, what they're expecting to hear. And that way, when you do that first demo, you have something that, that you know that they're familiar with. Yeah, of course. Yeah. With everything in life, you do your homework. You never, ever get caught off guard. So I need to know who, who's DJing in there, you know, what, what kind of nights are putting on, on what kind of styles. And yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll do my homework. That's, that's the way you, you go forward with it. Just out of curiosity, do you ever notice? Do you notice any trends in the music? Like, is there one artist or one track that you know everyone's going to be happy with, or know is always going to come up when you ask people what they're playing? Mm, difficult in in no. the club world, not really. Um, I mean, I I see it on forums commented that Darude Sandstorm is often one that's kind of people, you know, you put up a post and go, what what would be the first track you'd play on that? And you often get that. It's kind mm-hmm. of fairly typical. I've never played it, to be honest. But, okay. Um, yeah, so that's a thing. I don't know. 
Cool. Well, that's actually really cool to hear that, you know, people's tastes are, are fairly eclectic or like changing often enough that there's not like one thing you just always play. Yeah, it's not like in a demo for a live system where, you know, certain tracks and Hotel California and all the other boring stuff is going to be expected, <laughs> yeah. which I, I won't do, you know. I, you, come on, you, this is, you're showing me how creative you are by just playing the same track as everyone else. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I know that everyone wants a reference and we all, you know, want to hear something we think we know, but now nah, there's, there's other options. Cool. So, Raj, how did you get your first job in audio? Like, what was one of your first paying gigs? So, do you want the short answer here, which is kind of like two minutes, or do you want the life history until that point? I don't want the whole life history. I'm sort of curious, like, that moment when you were young or whenever it happened and audio was interesting, but then also you got money for it. Like, I feel like that's an in, that's a special time. Like, the first time you actually pay money for your first record. You know, that's like you're really taking agency of a thing. So, yeah, so I'm kind of interested in that, that moment in your life. What happened there and, and how did it turn into a job for the first time? I, I'm not sure I've even been ever paid for anything yet. So okay. <laughs> maybe not have got okay. to that point. Um, I mean, obviously it was always in, in, in me music. I, I, it's not something you choose. I'm quite against people that, you know, choose to being something. It, it chooses you. It's, yeah, you, you just got to be there for it. And, and if you're open enough and it will come and it will find you and it will use you and it will give you a good time and all the tools you need to do it. So, yeah, so first got into it, very young age. I didn't hear very well as a kid at school. I was the kid at the front of the class with the big headphones and the things swung around my neck. So really, I, okay. I, I, I kind of always wanted to make everything louder, I suppose. Sure. <laughs> kind sure. Of glorified from that, really. So yeah, hearing got better after about 10 or 11, and I kind of could start to speak a bit then as well, which was handy. And actually, my hearing gets better every year. I have it tested every year, and I'm the only person that's hearing actually gets better every single year. Oh, my God, year. you're Benjamin Button. At my Button. age, there should be nothing over like 10K, and there's just loads. <laughs> so, wow, you're going to so, live forever. Yeah, well, my ears will. It's just been like a on a purple kind of cushion in a glass somewhere. <laughs> so, yeah, the first time <clears throat> I really kind of did it, for real, I suppose, was um, I did lighting at school in the late 70s, just before I left school. And then in the last year of that, I was doing a bit of sound as well. The guy who did the sound, the sixth former left. So I was doing the, the kind of sound and, and the lighting for the stage in the school I was in. It wasn't, wasn't a very big place. And yeah, it just kind of felt right. Ma making noise felt better than kind of illuminating things anyway. It, it you know, it, it just felt good. So I left school and uh, I got a job on a building site doing civil engineering. And I started going to university for to learn, learn civil engineering. Did that for two years. And yeah, I really just knew that wasn't, wasn't my path. It, it was just, you know, you get that. God, is there something else out there? And if there is, and I don't do it or find it, am I going to regret this? And I got to that point, and when I get to that point, I just walk away. So I just walked away from it, and I, I didn't look back. It, it, it wasn't what I'm used for. So, so yeah. But in the evenings and at weekends, I was kind of 
doing a few kind of discos. A friend of mine had like a really bad disco and I thought, yeah, I'm going to build some speakers and just because I wanted to and I, and I could and I just thought, yeah, it'd be a cool thing to do. So I think it was some of the ones from the early Fane catalogue, uh, maybe like the 115, you know, W bin and the, the Y bin and things like this. And although actually, even even in the early eighties, in my last year at school, I was in woodwork building speakers as well. I started that early. Yeah, I really wanted to. I mean, at two years old, my mother's got pictures of me, you know, with like cardboard boxes with like woofers drawn on them, (laughs) connecting with bits of string. You know, and it's even like preamps and amplifiers. It's getting that technical, even like two, three years old. So, yeah, in the evenings, was doing this disco with my friend. And, uh, yeah, it, it just was good. And then some kind of bands, friends of mine said, wow, yeah, 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 we've got a gig coming up, yeah, like a pub or a small club. Would you like to do the sound? And I'm like, yeah, why not? So I started doing that. I got a small mixer, a 12-channel mixer, a little multi-core, some mics and stands. And, uh, yeah, that, that's, that was, I suppose, yes, that was yeah mid mid 80s and that was the first paid thing i i did really the the, the discos and and the live work with with the, the the system i built sure so that was your first like sort of commercial opportunity i'll make speakers for my friend who's building this disco or is managing yeah it. yeah mm-hmm. yeah actually i would it wasn't his i subhired it to him <laughs> so, Got it. I, it was yeah <clears throat> i actually had a rental company from 1985 onwards it was called sound facilities mm-hmm. and uh yeah so that just it kind of took off a bit and after about two three years stopped doing the discos just just didn't just wasn't really into it. i was really kind of into the live things and doing a small f- few festival stages outside and doing lots of kind of pub and bar work and no nightclubs at this time and yeah it it just took off and then I did a couple of bands that were kind of breaking at the time and that was useful because uh you know a lot of A&R and a lot of music industry people would turn up at concerts and gigs and you're using your systems Yes, yeah. By then, I'd actually designed my 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 uh, uh, the first sound, to, sound facility system. Uh, there's a it's blue with yellow writing. There's some pictures of all. I can send you pictures. There's pictures on the web. Sure. Yeah, I, I kind of started to I suppose get noticed that yeah, this guy's not doing too bad a mix. So a couple of companies in Bristol and which I can't actually remember the, the name of at all. My memory is really bad. Said, would you like to kind of come and do a bit of freelance mixing, you know, yeah, for, for some bigger shows and that? And I said, yeah, I'd kind of love to. So went over and kind of, you know, took, took a while, you know, and some days and afternoons to learn the desks and all the outboard and stuff like that because it was quite, quite a step up from what I was using. Sure. And, uh, yeah, really got into it and went out and did did loads and loads of shows then 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 did uh some work in london this must have been from about 87 88 89 around that time i was in mm-hmm. london and yeah it just took off then i was just getting work from you know loads of big bands and loads of big artists and then went over to the states and did some bits in the early 90s yeah i've just been really lucky i've i've worked with many many people in the industry but i've worked with people that i've really respected i've i've never you know you do people a disjustice if you don't like or don't understand what they're about 
I had one of the biggest, biggest artists in 87. His management rung me up. He was an American guy. <clears throat> He's Who huge. was it? I can't say. I won't okay. say. But he, he, you know, top two, three performers ever. You okay. Know, that, that big. It wasn't Michael Jackson, but it was under that. But not, it was close yeah. in scale of things. And he, he just rings up. It was all telephones in those days, no mobiles. So sure. I had my ceramic thing with the RAN dialer. I've heard of it. Picked it. Yeah, yeah. Picked <laughs> it up. No, thank you. Uh, picked it up. And uh, he's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd, we've heard some of your work and you come highly recommended. Uh, we've got a UK tour and uh, starting off at like Wembley or somewhere. And uh, would, you, would you like to do front of house for this? And I said, well, to be honest, I just don't really like the artist. I, I called him by his oh, name. I, said, no. I, just, I just don't really like him. I, I just don't, I just don't want to do it. I'm sorry. I just put the phone down. Wow. <laughs> but because, you know, he deserved and everyone deserves to have the best they can. And, 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 you know, it really needed someone that wanted that gig so badly that would have died for it and just done the ultimate mix. Yep. And it would have just been work for me. And, sure. and it's not enough. I, it's a dis, disservice to the artist. So, so I've turned down lots of work where I could have done it. It would have been an easy gig, but I, it, it's, I'm not connecting with it. I'm not doing them justice. So yeah, I, I work that way on everything. No, it's great that you say that. I mean, we like to sometimes uh, get a little arrogant and think that we're the best at everything. And really, we're only the, you know, good at a small number of things. And we should really focus on those things. And those include, you know, working on the music that we really love. We're not going to be the best at working on music that we don't care for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I see a lot of it and especially recently creep in the industry. And it's where, you know, People have really forgotten why we do sound and why we do live sound and we, we do clubs or whatever. And we do it for people's enjoyment and we do it to make a difference. I, I, I say that music can't change people. You don't listen to an album and become a different person. You don't go to a concert and become a different person. But what it does do is it puts you in a place where you're able to learn and change. So it indirectly does change you and i'm all for that i'm i'm just here to use what i've been given to give people a good time and and just turn them on and make make it as you know as best enjoyable experience as i can and <clears throat> you know that's the reason people work you know as medics or paramedics or doctors or firemen you know they're there for the people but occasionally in the industry you just see people who are doing it for them they're walking around they're kind of it's all ego and it's just like just just get out right now. Just stop doing that. It's just not right. <laughs> if you don't know why you're doing this and, and who we're here and who we are serving, just don't do it. Get out. It's such a big injustice. Wow. So I see that creeping in a bit where, where it's starting, you know, there's superstar mix engineers and things, you know, and it's like, no, 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 no. Don't go that way. So speaking of who you're serving... Why do you think you ended up here talking to me today and not working as a civil engineer? Is it just because you hated it so much that you were kind of looking for anything else? Or was there a moment where you were like, okay, I need to make a decision for whether or not I'm going to be happy for the rest of my life or whatever? Can you think of how did that, how did that turn out? When was that moment? Yeah, that, yeah. And, and it was, well, it was, it was the, you know, being two years in the uni doing the civil engineering kind of degree 
and being out on the building sites. It was the second winter that hit me hard. It, it really did. And it, it never felt right. It just didn't feel like the thing. It was the thing kind of I wanted to do, but it wasn't the thing I should have been doing. And it, it really wasn't. And so... Yeah, after two years, it, I'd, I just had enough. And I was out, like I say, in the evenings doing systems and doing a few live events and discos and things. And, and, and that made more difference. I could, I could really see what, what, how that could affect people and the difference and the change that could bring. So it was just one day sat in a lesson. As I said before, I came to that regret point, you know, if am I going to going to regret? Sorry, my Bristol accent comes out every now and again. <laughs> it took me years to try and hide it, but it just does come out occasionally. Yeah, sat in the classroom and yeah, am, am I going to regret not just sitting here for the rest of my life and just being on building sites and, you know what I mean? Where there's this other side that I can do and I, and I just so want to do it but I don't really know how, but so I just walked out. I walked out halfway through the lesson and I just quit my job. And I said, I just have to have to make this, you know, I have to make something out of audio and I have to make a name and I have to, you know, give with, with it and change things. So that, that's, that was the point, the real point. It was just really walking out of, out of a lecture and just, just no more of this. No, it's not. not. I, I suppose I was lucky. I, I had a feeling it wasn't right. I, you know, you are told the way to go if if you're open and receptive, and it just took, you know, for me to get that old in my life, which would have been probably eighteen or nineteen, to actually say no more. No, this is it's not right. It's, I've got to do something else. So I did, and, and yeah, I'm lucky I did. It's been brilliant. It's a hell of a ride. So, Raj, I want to know what are some of the biggest or most common mistakes you see people making who are new to void speakers. And I'm really just using the word void because, you know, that's what you're associated with now, but you've been working on systems and helping people with systems for a long time. And so you get a lot of support calls, you're helping uh, people with their designs, you're going to see their installations and saying, oh, you did this, this, and this, and this could be a better way to do that. So I'm, I'm just curious if there are any trends that you've seen over your years of working on systems that you that people just consistently do or like the kind of questions that you that you get all the time okay so i can split that into obviously because we do touring products as well into touring and into live obviously i have to be have to be careful here not to uh, upset everyone or anyone (laughs) you can upset Um, everyone i don't care to be honest it's it's a, a really really Good, good crew of people that use our products. We're not as careful as some some other companies that that really vet who uses their product and literally tells them, you know, what time to get up and, and what toilet roll to use. We we just don't <laughs> sit on people that that much because you know if you haven't got that much trust with someone, don't use them. You, you know, they just got to be able to get out there and just do a good job. And luckily you know we have that so i don't really see many mistakes and and if there are they'd be pulled up by other people we have two or three forums for power users and you know people put up what they've been working on and people just you know come up with suggestions and things um one thing live wise i i see often done and i can't say it's wrong but i would do it differently is Okay, so if you've got a very, very wide audience, you know, outside festival, 
this isn't really practical. But if the audience isn't that big, I quite like to toe the line arrays in quite a bit to avoid using so much fill. I see people use a hell of a lot of fill on top of the, you know, the front front base stacks, you know, side fills pointing at, at the audience. It's just too, too many sound sources from it, you know, arriving at different times for me. I like to keep things really, really simple. If you can just do two hangs, a fill in the middle, you know, and then if that means you've got to have a bit of extra tilt and, you know, then do that. So that's, that's one thing that, that, a lot of people kind of, like I say, you don't get it wrong because if you've got a really wide audience, then I understand you've, you've got to hang flat, you know, going outwards to cover it all. So <clears throat> with clubs, yeah, this is quite a controversial one. I mean, I massively trust the people who, who, who do our, our clubs and write them off and help set them up. You know, Lorin from Germany, uh, Nathan Shaw in the U S and many others around the world, Toki, Japan. So you know, I really trust them. And I'm, I'm in such a lucky position because I don't need to go out anymore and, and write clubs off or check things or set things up. You know, they have a, a, as good an ear as I do. And facts probably better in some cases. So, yeah, I, I can totally trust them. I'd like to see more systems done distributed. I, I'm not a lover of four stacks when, when you, you know, have especially mid tops. Nothing should ever, ever face back to the DJ. It's the same as doing an outside festival, getting all the delay stacks and turn them towards the stage. You just would not do that. <laughs> but it's done in clubs. And yeah, I, I hate it. I really do. I like, I like running mid tops from, you know, you, you find the, the zero point, you know, at the, fr the front of the stage and then you run everything, you delay everything back, you know, you calculate it first and then you, you fine tune by ear just, just for the feeling really. And I find it, it really, it gives the DJ a, a lot easier job and it really kind of brings everyone closer to the front and it brings everyone the kind of same experience because they're all kind of hearing the same thing from, from the same point. So, That's interesting. You have a point of focus <clears throat> and, and, a, and some sort of a sonic image instead of it just coming from all around you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know that's done and there are some very famous ones that people have done quite recently, but they were very long clubs. So the, the, the real rear delays and if they're towed in enough, you know, they're probably not going to be heard at the front of, of, you know, at the front of the club. But other than that, if it's a square club, nah, I, I, I just wanted to, I really just advise everyone to go distributed and all the, the clubs I've actually done myself, like uh, shock 39 in Bangkok, we've, we've done distributed systems. And to me, it just, makes the whole place just party a bit more and, and a bit more united it just really brings everyone together i guess t tell me what you mean by that because to me dis distributed just means more speakers but in this case we're talking about how they're aimed and so you're using more speakers to to fill the space but instead of them being around the room kind of pointed in towards some center point they're still all using the the stage or the the dj as their sonic image and then pointed uh, away from that yeah totally totally okay. so exactly the same as you do in a, a live concert with with delay stacks Got it's it. just that you, you're doing this in a room and you're just delaying as you as you go back normally you wouldn't need to do the sub if you can get a big enough array along the you know under or in or around the dj console then you know the the, the sub will go all the way so you're really just filling the mid top as it as it goes back 
Mm-hmm. That's that's all you're doing. But yeah, I, I don't know why people, more people don't do it because it's a really just, yeah, I really like being in clubs. It gives a focal point. Sure. You know, if not, if you've got kind of sand behind you and to the side of you, you're a bit, where's it coming from? You know, so. Well, Raj, you've done all these great projects, these beautiful speakers, and I thought maybe to sort of give a more well-rounded um, story about you in the short time that we have together, you could talk about maybe one of the biggest or most painful mistakes that you've made on the job and how you recovered. Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't personally tend to make many mistakes. I know that's like, yeah, wow, but, you know, I go in prepared and I do my homework on everything because the, the performer, the DJ, the artist, who, who the band, whoever's going to be on that stage, you know, it, it's their moment and they've put everything into it. So I'm not going to leave anything unturned. So I'm going to do everything in my power to make my bit right. And, I'm, and I don't want to lose face. So normally, not many problems. Um, one big problem I had that was out of my control and this, this didn't go well was I was doing a culture clash in London. I think it must have been about 20,000 people, 22,000 people. And we had Void Arcline 12, which is, we no longer make that product. It's been superseded by uh, Arcline 8. And we did the sound check and I thought, well, this is probably a bit underpowered. We had probably 14 or 16 aside uh, and an additional hangs for the balconies. And I thought it's probably a bit underpowered, but we'll get away with it. It's enough. It'll be okay. And we had loads of performers, all the sound checks, you know, had nine vocal mics for MCs on on the opening act. So so this is quite a a, a difficult, you know, shape to mix. Anyway, so what I find out later is that the amps for the mid-tops haven't been linked. They're only one in on one channel. So you've got the top cab then the second the third one down then the fifth one down every other cab wasn't wasn't working oh no <laughs> and then someone cuz i wouldn't normally go and check that you just normally assume that that's been done and that's that's how it is oh, no. so the the system came on and it it must have been about plus 25 db from about 250 hertz up and everything just fed back at like 100 150 200 and and Wait, when did that happen at me. during the yeah. show it came back on no well no this was the first number because oh, wow. i was now you know i've done all the rta and done everything on on the system with half the cabs working i now had a full system with all the cabs working the first act comes on and that's it it just it's just i'm having to just remix the, the whole thing in seconds you know with nine mcs and other you know so yeah that that was and it was televised and everyone's just like looking at me and the band are going what the hell's going on and i'm like i'm just dying i really well how did you come back well you just remix it you just grab some controls and suck out you know put some high passes on and just get on with it and luckily after the first number it was it was almost back to where it was but again that was out of my control so it's but that was a difficult one yeah, yeah. Some of my competitors were stood next to me as well because they had some other bands to mix. So <laughs> I really lost face that day. Yeah. 
what was the? Uh, there was another bit to it as well. What were we no, that that was pretty much it. Uh, kind of how you recovered. Like I'm also curious, like what happened afterwards. Like did you did you just obviously you didn't lose all your work and never worked again. Like you had conversations and, and, you know, there were probably producers or event promoters who were like, what happened? And then what did you say to them? Well, we just had the technical and yeah, it just went wrong and mm-hmm. uh, really sorry, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah. But as you can tell, you know, from, from four or five minutes in, everything was fine. So sure. it was just, just uh, you know, and the show went really well. Everyone loved it. And like, okay. I got booked back for the next one. Okay, great. The <laughs> so, so it was, uh, yeah, it was, yeah. But there's a few, yeah, YouTube uh, videos of it, of it, and you can see how bad it is. <laughs> All right, Raj. Well, I have a handful of questions here that were sent in from Facebook, and some of them are are pretty broad in general, so we can kind of see how well we can do with them. So so we'll give it a (coughs) shot. So Kiriakos knows that I never pronounce his name right. Sorry about that. Um, Where can we find the second part of his subwoofer arraying guide? Ooh. Well, as you probably read, or probably this morning before you got up, because you didn't have much time, Nathan, um, I did the first base array, uh, the practical guide to base arrays in 2008. And at the time, there really wasn't anything kind of like it. There was nothing that showed you, you know, how the response is going to look. So, you know, also we, we had some big shows coming up as well, which is why the, 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 the area, the, I think it's 50 meters by 25 or something or 30 meters is actually the area of, of the concert hall we had booked. So I just did lots of simulations just to see what was actually going to work the best at, at, at some concerts that we, I knew we had coming up. Mm-hmm. So, but then I just thought, well, I'll just share this because there's, there's nothing like this. There's nothing out there. So it was early. Um, some, of the, some of the bits got taken up quite seriously. Um, the Martin Audio uh, MLA system from 2009 onwards for about five or six years used uh, the Delta, Delta array that I, that I outlined in the uh, practical guide. And uh, yeah, they used it at Glastonbury every year and it, it worked well. It, it, it did work well. It's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm a fan of m- more gradient, definitely. I know that's a question for later, but... Sure. Well, yeah. that's, that's so, cool. Yeah. And, and I, that was definitely one of my takes. I read it a long time ago when I didn't understand any of it, but I do remember the Delta Array, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. So for people who don't know and haven't read the guide from 2008, would you mind just describing uh, the Delta Array and, um, and, and what you feel like its practi- best practical purposes? Okay, so it's quite a lot like what you would call now like an inverted CSA. So it's uh, two cabinets forward. Uh, so say you're doing double 18s, you stand them upright, you do, you do two forward, one back, two forward, one back. And the rear one obviously is, is phase adjusted and has, has a delay. So, so it's very much like... But with, with the Delta array, you actually physically move the base bin the 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 rearward facing base cabinet you actually physically move it yeah. so this it's is what rear, makes it look the different the than than an inverted gradient stack that people might be yeah, familiar yeah. with yeah actually what you're doing is you're creating a, a bigger surface area and so you've got a bit more directionality that's actually what it's doing uh, so the but 
it kind of if you've got a long enough array it kind of works just having it flat there is you know not much point in in staggering the you know the rearward facing um what does it do it just puts more out the front uh, and, you know, it gets rid of uh, any lobes. If, you, if you're doing a left and right stack, obviously you're going to have a massive power power alley in the middle, middle, which, you know, 500 people will really get off on and everyone else is kind of, where's the base? So it gets rid of that. It, the on-stage levels are going to be a lot quieter, you know, so for, for, for low end. So, yeah, it's uh, why not? It, and it, it also, it couples the cabinets. It actually makes more use of what you have. You, you haven't got things fighting each other or, you know, you, everything is working I- as one. So you, you've got a gain there, which is always worth having. But to the original question, where is part two? Part two never really happened because it was going to be about horns and things like that. And then I looked into it and it's just so complex, you know, like, you know, to, to, to map horns. It, it's so easy to just have a double 18 reflex. It's so predictable. It's, you know, you can get a GLL file of it. You just know what's, what's what it's going to do. But horns are just really quite unpredictable. And especially in multiples, things start changing with, with larger horn mouths. And so it's very, very difficult to predict. And I, I really kind of gave up. <laughs> But what did happen is part two came out. Well, it wasn't part two. It was a kind of side kickoff from it. Uh, In 2010, I wrote System Tips for Dance Venues, which I think is also out on the net in a PDF. And that went into more elaborate elaborate cardioid and uh, four-stack systems, uh, two stacks either side of the dance floor, uh, circular with a circular DJ console with all the subs facing outwards, which actually proved to be the best. So... Yeah, that, that that was it. But it didn't go into horns, but it did elaborate on, on the cardioidness of part one. So part two is, yeah, the, the uh, system tips for dance venues. Cool. Um, so Kiriakos also wants you to talk about gradient configurations. And I tried to get him to be a little bit more specific about exactly what he wants to know. And I said, well, what do you want to know about it? And, and, and what specific questions? And um, he said... I'd like to know his subwoofer system design approach regarding the use of cardio configuration, reasons to use, trade-offs like impact and headroom reduction, bandpass behavior, and if he has a preference on gradient or M-fire or a mix of them. So we don't really have time to do like a whole like three-hour course on uh, answering all these questions, which I'm sure you have a lot of insight into. So how can we... How can we talk about this question? How, what do you think Kiriakos wants to know from you about gradient arrays? I really have to start off by saying that really you're, you're talking to the wrong guy about it because I've, over the years, I've, I've, I've become more like a kind of jazz musician where I've, I've kind of tried to unlearn everything I've known because they're so, so constrictive and, and, you know, they set you in a very, very defined way. And I've kind of tried to go more freeform because all my work has become design. As, as the companies become bigger, we have, you know, uh, support staff and we have staff to do, you know, help with uh, installs and layouts and, and festival, you know, system planning. We have this. So I don't really get to do that anymore. So 
I used to, but that was probably, you know, 10 years ago. So I've not really been in the field. And yeah, I go to concerts, I I mix things, but I don't really plan the systems. And I I certainly don't sit there for weeks on end, just just running simulations anymore. If if, if I've got the time to do that, I should be designing because you can get a lot of people to sit at a computer and do predictions, you know, but you can get very, very few people to do what I do. And so that's another thing I've realized, you know, my my time is valuable and, and you just capitalize on what you're good at. You just don't sit there do running simulations or FEA analysis because there's other people that can do that that actually quite like it. I don't particularly like it. I really like designing stuff. And so that's that's where I'm at. Um I'm not a lover of Enfire. It's I, I space I, I don't you know we don't get to do you know massive massive stadiums and so we don't you know we can be doing three or four stages at Notting Hill Carnival, you know, which has two million people over the weekend. But because there's so many systems, it's quite small. And there's just not room for Enfire. There really, really just isn't. Um, not enough real estate. No, no. Um, I've looked into it and I've looked at people have had problems with lobing and it doesn't look the cleanest kind of out the front. Um, I, and I'm really just a lover of just you know bins as wide as the audience everyone's in it you, you know if if you need it a bit wider you can start to put delays on on the ends um yep reverse some you know in a, in a gradient fashion or a, you know a csa and invert so that you you get quite uh you know on on stage noise uh, uh, levels and that works for me that really really works and I don't really think you can take that any further. Um, some of the void rental partners have been doing like uh, what they call Delta arrays now, which are kind of big, huge Vs. And to, to me, it doesn't really matter because you can really make the frequencies are so long. You know, you can make any amount of cabinets in any kind of shape, some somewhere, and go that direction. So, does, but but I just yeah, I, I'm, I'm a gradient lover and just give me lots of bins and if you haven't got enough then you know you can space you can you can you can do a space just just make sure you know you're even quarter wavelength center to center and yeah of the the highest frequency say 80 or 90 hertz and and yeah that that for me works yeah i want to move on but i feel like for people there are probably people who are listening who may have not heard this rule before of the uh, limit of spacing quarter wavelength. So could you just explain that a little bit? Um, What is the highest frequency operating range I should be looking at to calculate this? And then how do I do that? Okay. I mean, ideally, and this this also applies for when you're designing a, a line array cabinet, um, you, you, you're trying for obviously a center to center spacing um, of quarter wavelength, but that, especially with HF, is just very, very difficult to get, and, and, and some mid-range as well. And so, you know, a half a half wavelength is, in my ear, still sounds okay. And actually, at lower frequencies, a wavelength is still okay. I, I don't mind a wavelength. If, if push comes to shove, I, you know, so you're, you, you're talking quite a distance then from if you take 100 hertz and below or 110 below, you know, you, you can... You, you don't use to need to use so you know fill everything up along the whole front so yeah i'm I'm not too much of a stickler on this quarter wavelength it's it helps but 
it's 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 impractical. Okay. So you're saying people should do whatever they need to to get the line length that they need for the coverage that they need. Yes. Yeah. Without going over, you know, one wavelength spacing. And that's not edge to edge. That is actually driver, center of driver to center of driver. That's sure. CTC. That's not edge of cabinet. People just think, oh, I'll put the cabinets two meters apart. But no, that's... So it's a bit closer than you always think. Right. Well, depending on cabinet, if it's a horn, then you assume, you know, and, and the full frontal you know, area is the radiation area of the horn, then you can assume that it is to the edge. Okay. Um, so Raj, there was a time in my life when I was living in Portugal and um, I was working at the National Theatre and my predecessor, or a guy, a colleague who used to work at the National Theatre before I got there, eventually left and became a distributor for Void Acoustics in Portugal, in, in the Lisbon area. And that was my first introduction to them. So he really liked them. And I think he, he told us about them when he came by the theater one day to help us like install some new uh, antenna cables or something like that. And he may have given us some marketing materials. But I remember the first time seeing those and it really dawned on me that my entire life, I sort of understood that people wish that speakers could be invisible. And that's why they're sort of black and then they ended up they end up getting like put into all sort of weird places because people don't want to see them uh, at least in terms of most things that aren't just concert where it's just focused on the audio but you still have to see the performers so so it was it was eye-opening for me to see this brand where they seem to go the opposite direction and they seem to say hey we're not going to make our speakers invisible. We're going to do the opposite. We're going to make them visible. They're going to be so beautiful that you're going to want to see them and you're going to want to put them where everyone can see them. Now they're like part of the show. And and I'm just saying all this story as a preamble to uh, Stuball's question, which is how do the aesthetics of his cabinet designs affect the acoustic designs? Does an acoustic design goal come first on a given project or an aesthetic one? And what complements and conflicts arise? Okay, so yeah, you've just highlighted why, you know, I I went with things that weren't just black boxes, because it was quite evident in the late 90s when I first set up the successor to Void Acoustics, which we call Big Mouth Speaker Systems. And I was lucky to get some, some work out in the Caribbean and Antigua and also around, around England as well. And uh, that was with a series called Static. It was all kind of wooden and you could, it was bare wood and very, very difficult to make. So, yeah, it, it just became really apparent that even lighting in clubs were looking kind of nice and artistic and kind of had some kind of sculpture. But in, in clubs were just spending millions on decor and it was just plush and it was looking really, really good. And then there was just really horrible black kind of speaker <laughs> yeah. always in the corner, like trying to be hidden because it didn't look good or it didn't, couldn't make a statement. It, it, it should just be hidden. So I thought, well, yeah, this just makes something that looks nice and beautiful. And so, I mean, I don't consider myself as a loudspeaker designer. I consider myself as an artist who just has a really good founding in acoustics and physics. I, I'm, you know, it's, I come at it that way. We, we have far more to do with like how a, a top car manufacturer, you know, comes up with molds and, and you know, for, for cars and things like that than we, we do traditional speaker companies, you know. it's So <clears throat> to get to the question, there's, there's two ways to do this. There's either 
I come up with something just wacky looking in my head and I have to then make it make a sound. Or the second way is I get a brief and there's a second part to the brief bit. And that is that you want something to work so correctly that there is only one form it can actually take to do that. So that was incubus. That was, there was no brief. The brief was make everything couple, you know, and make everything completely one in that cabinet, in that mid top section, make the 12s, uh, the French compression drivers, the one, or, or just some, or, or become one, or be within half wavelength and just, you know, and then have a bit of control over that with, with power shading and things like that. So that, the form of that came because that, to me was physically the only way all those transducers and horns could actually be mounted and sit to accomplish that. So that, so Incubus wasn't, Oh, let me come up with something that looks, you know, really, really groovy. And then just try and make a sound out of it. Uh, that was more like air motion. Air motion was just, let me make something looks really, really nice. And, and, and now I've got to kind of worry about getting a good sound from it, but because it is all conical horns, it's quite an easy, you know, thing to achieve. Uh, try motion was another one that was, yeah, you know, I just want to make a speaker that looks like that. So, so you draw it first, then you start running the simulations and then adjust things. And so, but try motion was difficult that, 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 yeah, to get a, to get a good sound out of that was very, very difficult. That's, that's not an easy thing to do, but actually it, it turned out because the, the the horns were triangle, the it had asymmetrical uh, vertical dispersion. So there's less actually going out the top than the bottom. So you get less in in clubs. You get less ceiling reflection. So it actually it kind of I didn't actually even think about that at the time. Mm. That that was like a side effect cool. <laughs> that's very useful. So yeah, two t- two ways. You know, I the other thing is I get a brief and it's uh, okay. The cabinet has to be this weight, this size because uh, it has to go in a truck. It has to have this output, this frequency response, uh, and things like that. And so then you really are, yeah, you're working to a spec, you're working to a brief, uh, a brief. And I can do that. I don't mind doing that, but I, I do just like making weird shapes, make a good sound that that's there's something about that. It's, it's not, I mean, you could literally now give me a piece of glass and it can make, it can make a sound. <laughs> I, I it can make anything, make a sound. It's not the problem. Uh, Guillaume says, can you make him talk about his super scooper mogul 18 inch? And I said, what do you want him to say about it? And he said, the idea and history behind it. And I said, okay. (laughs) Whoa, that's that's going back to my old DIY days. (laughs) Okay. When is that from? So that was, this was one of the earlier, um, models that you, that you designed and built. Yeah. Yeah. Are, Are you aware of my speaker plans history? No. Oh my god! Oh man, you haven't, you haven't lived. <laughs> <laughs> so speaker plans is just like the greatest forum in the whole universe. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> well, no, it's it's a DIY community, and I started it in two thousand and three, I think. Okay. So just just after I started Void Acoustics, which. Uh, yeah, that's a conflict of interest. Because on one <laughs> hand, you're kind of like trying to sell speakers for quite a bit of money and say they're the best thing Seriously, ever. Seriously, this is proprietary information. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I'm not... That was the thing, you know, 
I, I helped out and I still help out. You know, if people ask me questions, I'm, I'm there for it. I'm, I'm not like most designers that just hide and it, everything to them is a secret because, sure. you know, you're, you're arming other people. And I really don't kind of mind. It's, we, we, you know, we're all in this together. So speaker plans, yeah, like I say, it's the, the, the best kind of forum ever. So 2003, that started. And yeah, that, that was... Yeah, it was good. And it, it still is good, really, because it, it has people who come on and, you know, you, you're really encouraged to come up with your own designs and use Basebox Pro or WinISD or Horn Response, things like that, and just come up with your own thing. You know, we were really, really against copying and people coming on and kind of wanting plans for things. It's like, no, just work it out for yourself, do it for yourself. So I'm, I'm glad that the forum has kept that and, and, and still, is still, still keeps going that way. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I will talk about the Super Scoop. I'm not avoiding it, even though I want to. <laughs> so I started the forum because it really is a UK kind of answer to the US stuff that was going on. And that was Pro Sound News, was it, I think? Okay. The forum there, or, or Pro, Pro Sound, Sound Live. Yeah, Pro Sound Web. Mm -hmm. It might have even been called Pro Sound Live back then. Uh, there was another one. There was the high efficiency speaker forum. And <clears throat> it was just people like me and uh, Bill, uh, what is this? The one, the DIY guy, Bill Fr Fritzman. I don't know. I'm sorry. I <laughs> <laughs> crap memory anyway i remember tom dowling was on it as well okay. and there was a few uh wayne parnham and there was you know freddie and djk there was there's quite a few of us and and yeah we kind of really started that whole diy movement this was this was 98 99 we were on these forums you know a lot of it was on kind of old tripod kind of forum sites and just really really windows 95 i think my machine was back then wow. but it it kind of worked and we started talking and yeah, we, it was brilliant. So I really wanted a, they were all us sites and I really wanted to kind of the same thing, but, but more kind of UK based and more European based. So that's why I started speaker plans. And then it just, I, I actually, the, the, the more famous one was the 1850 horn. And I'm sure I did that before I started void acoustics. And I think, uh, super Scooper as well. The 18-inch Super Scooper came out before Void Acoustics as well. So they would have been about 2000, 2001. Yeah, I, I just wanted to do some designs that people could use for like free parties and just just to have fun with really and, and make a bit of a difference. It was nothing really too serious. Yeah, I just, that's why I did it. It's, yeah, it's it's kind of in a way come back to bite me because yeah i am in direct conflict you know it's a conflict of interest trying to sell speakers and also having plans out there that stop people from buying but but to be honest the people that are going to diy buy and a bit build are never going to buy so you, you've not really lost a customer and i think what i have done is i i do get quite a bit of respect by people saying, wow, you know, you're one of the only designers that will actually talk to people and actually will help out and, and come back with a reply. And I think, you know, that that puts me in a bit of better stead than other people, really, because I do that. Sure. But yeah, Super Scooper was just 
for dub and reggae sound systems, uh, used a PD-1850 Mark I driver. And yeah, you need quite a few of them because it was, it was a, a hyperbolic flare rate. So you need quite a few to build up quite a big mouth, really. And uh, yeah, it worked well. Then we released a driver, Void released a driver called the V18-1000, which actually worked really, really well in it. And, and, and I had designed the Super Scoop before the, the driver came out. So I didn't, that was a, a pure fluke <laughs> that we came out of a driver that just seemed to be the one that worked the best in it. Cool. But, but yeah, so there's a mod, there's a small mod you can do that not many people know about or anyone. And that is, um, with some drivers and you, you're going to have to sim this because, you know, I'm out of the loop with, with DIY, to be honest, this was all 20 years ago now. So I, I don't really know. There's, there's people that are still doing DIY every day and they're in a much better position to advise what's good. People come to me and go, Oh, what's the best DIY thing? I'm like, just go to a forum because you know, that they really are aware of what's happening, you know, and, and, and right at the forefront of it all. And, I, and I'm not because I'm concentrating on, on more on the commercial side. Sure. So, um, forgot where I was going with that one, but now <laughs> uh, the mod <laughs> complete for the super sidetrack. Scooper. Oh, the mods, yeah, the mods, yeah, and the rockers and everything else. Um, so. Yeah, the front chamber is a bit too big. It's a bit too big. If you can put two bits of angled woods wood at the, if you're looking from the front of the cabinet, you take the driver out at the top. You need to block off the in the rear chamber behind the driver. If you block off the two top left and right uh, chambers, then it actually it works better on with, with, with certain drivers to have a lot smaller front chamber. Okay, so. Yeah, I'd worked that one out about a year after I designed it, but <clears throat> I never kind of put the mods, but I think a few people had worked it out. Cool. But yeah, it's okay. I, I really wanted something that, and also it was kind of slightly ego kind of thing as well. It's nice to have a bin that, that you've designed that, you know, a lot of, you know, DIY and, and dub sound systems and reggae sound systems are using all around the world. And it's just nice that, well, one, that they're doing it and, and given so much with, with, with their performances and two, just on an egotistical side, it's just really nice to be part of that. And, and, you know, if if they're going to build Semic, it might as well just don't, don't build some crap, really. So I just, just decided to put Semic out there, just kind of stop at least some real rubbish being built. But I really did want to want to compete with the Eminence design. There's a single 18 Eminence. And if you do a few mods to that by kind of putting in corner deflectors, it actually, I have to say, still is the better bin than the Super Scooper. The Super Scooper, probably slightly under it. But yeah, a, a, a well-modded eminent scoop with double bracing is is king. Yeah, cool. <laughs> I don't hold that glory. <laughs> I wanted to, but I don't. Okay, so Nathan Short says, ask him about running his racing motorcycles at 200 plus miles per hour on the unused superhighways in the edges of Tibet near China a long time ago. Apparently you ride motorcycles and you took one out to some superhighways in Tibet. What's the story here? That's such a Nathan thing, isn't it? To, to, to kind of glorify it up that much. That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I was just going to a shop on a 50cc moped, you know, to get a packet of fags. But Nathan turned it into 200 mile an hour spooky superhighways. <laughs> no, so 
yes, I think it's quite well known that I, I really, really love and dig motorcycles. Uh, I have a car, but it really is just to get to the shops when I can't carry something kind of backpack. It's, uh, yeah, I've only got four motorcycles at the moment. Sure, so only that's, four. That's quite, it's quite bad. Yeah. One of them's a beast. It's, uh, uh, 1290, well, 301 CC KTM V twin that weighs under 200 kilos. So that's, that's the same power. Do you see how excited I am now? Cause it's not speakers. <laughs> yeah. That's the same power to weight as like two Ferraris or two Lamborghinis. Oh that's 960. What are you doing with that thing? Uh, a lot of wheelies. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's got traction control. Doing some sweet do stunts. But, yep. Um, just going for rides. Mm. I, I just love it. It's just, that thing can just rip your life apart. Yeah, it can change you. It's good. So uh, I love bikes, yeah. Uh, The other thing you probably don't know is that I moved from the UK to uh, mainland China in 2002, just after Void opened. Um, I started doing the R&D in England, and I just could see this was just going nowhere because... You know, you go and see people, oh, can you, can you make this bit of metal work? Can you make this bit of wood? And you just get that kind of beard scratching. Ooh, don't know, mate. Ooh, it's going to cost you. Like, oh, don't know if I can fit you in. And it, just, it was just such bloody hard work. And everyone was just giving me such a hard time. And I, I really like to work quick and just, just, just jump on it and just get something out quick, you know, because you're in the moment. So, same with writing music as well, yeah. You know, a t- two-year-long album writing is... Just just not good it doesn't work so i was trying you know and i'd had enough of england i really had i just knew every day where i was going to go who i was going to see what i was going to say where i was going to eat you know i I'm, I'm a firm believer in you know is if if you don't wake up every day and you don't get a kind of wow you know you look out you look at something you just you've got to have a wow every day and then at least two three times you, you've got to be shocked you've got to really have a whoa you know if you don't and england for me was starting to get like that just just get away straight away just move it's not it's not your place and it's took me all my all my life to find my place and where i feel at home and that is grand canaria it's 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 the people that make anywhere and and they're just brilliant mm. they, they we have manners here if you go across <laughs> the street anywhere in my town all the cars will stop for you anyway oh, well. we still have manners sure. it's it's you know that's different so yeah so i was looking for to get out of england because i really just didn't like it i i needed that change so i went to a trade show to do some sourcing for some components just to see, you know, bar handles or just what was out in China. There wasn't really very, very much back in the early 2000s. And I went to a trade show in Shanghai for 14 days and I ended up staying for 14 years. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was quite a, yeah, it's quite a weird one <clears throat> because I went back and seen some factories and God, they just, just, just get on with it. Everyone just gets on with it. And if you just want something done quicker, you just, just chuck a few more people at it. And, and, and everyone's so eager to learn, or they were then, they're not so much now. They just, everyone wanted to learn and you just chuck people at it and you could get stuff done. So 
I was really impressed and I was just, you know, going back and forth to England more and more like the first year. And then in 2000 and late 2002, I think I thought, well, I'm, I'm kind of in China more than I'm in England. So I'm just going to stay here. I'm just going to just live here. Sure. So I rented an apartment in just outside Guangzhou in quite a rural area, actually. And I thought, well, stuff it. So I'm going to build an R&D lab. <laughs> so I did. I rented a place and built some soundproof rooms and got some nice kind of kit in there and, you know, things like that for, for testing. And <clears throat> I had some offices and I got, got a couple of CAG guys and we had a small area where we could do kind of mock-ups for base bins, you know, prototypes, so woodwork. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had fiberglass. We had a guy who could do molds and would knock us up some fiberglass. So, you know... I, I did so much from 2004 till 2010. I designed, well, everything for Void. And that was over 35 series and probably six or seven products within each series. Wow. So that's, I don't think ever been done in history. That's, I could literally have something at the door in three days. You could work that quick. No, it sounds like you were really focused t- and I, you had this whole team who were really focused with you as well. Yeah, that's how life works. Yeah. <laughs> you just get a team of everyone around you that you need and you just, you know, you get everyone really on one. <clears throat> They've got to be up for it though. And the people were, and they really wanted to learn. And I, I just did so much so quick and uh, yeah, I loved it. Awesome. it. It wasn't the easiest country to, to live in. It, it, it wasn't, you know, it was in the end, I couldn't wait to get out. I'd really, really had enough. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was. So in terms so, of getting work done, it was the best. But then in terms of living, you were like, okay, it's time for another another thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, things happened with the presidency change as well, and the whole place really changed as well. And so it became quite difficult for a foreigner actually to be there oh, okay. in the end. So that 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 was hence the move in, I think twenty. 14 or 2015 when I moved out. So, right, the motorbike in Tibet thing. So I would spend, after about two, three years of being in China, I would spend the winters uh, just outside Guangzhou in the village because it it was quite warm. You know, you could have... 26, 27 degrees on Christmas Day and New Year's mm-hmm. Eve and things like this. I, was like, I don't know what that is in real Fahrenheit, but... <laughs> um, People will look it up if they want to know. <laughs> yep, yep. So what happened was I would spend the... I would spend the, the the cold winters in Guangzhou and then the summers I would go up to Tibet and I didn't have the full R&D lab, that was in Guangzhou, but I did have like a kind of apartment and a, a little kind of, almost like a, a design studio where I could go in and do a bit of CAD and kind of just come up with concepts and come up with ideas to take back to the lab. So I used to spend quite a lot of time on, on the China-Tibet border and yeah, I had bikes in both locations. I had it, what, the 11 motorcycles was the most I had at one point. Oh, wow. And yeah, there were just kind of roads with no one on them. And some of them were kind of private kind of tow roads in that. And it was just, you know, there's still not many people on the roads, you know, in, in central or Western China. There's, you know, a car is still quite a luxury item. So 
Yeah, I had this uh, ex-SBK uh, Kawasaki Z10RR and good for about 195 horsepower, I think. And it, it didn't have any restriction because Japanese bikes have a 300 kilometer an hour restriction, which is about 186 miles an hour. They've got like a kind of gentleman's agreement that no bike <laughs> goes over that, even though they can. But this didn't have that. So I, I'm not sure it was 200. I read just over 200 on the speedo two, three times on the high speed runs, but I think the GPS was reading about 197 I was doing. Okay. So yeah, it's enough. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's quite a strange experience. Sure. You know, if there are a few kind of cars about it, it's quite strange because it's, it's like you're in a car park just kind of slowly maneuvering around vehicles it's really that are parked it's quite strange it actually feels quite safe there's no kind of buffeting or wind noise because you're right behind the fairing and you really feel quite confident and safe it doesn't you think oh my god 200 mile an hour but no it's it's all right all right yeah it's amazing yeah. yeah, so that was the, the, the Tibet and, and the China thing. So big part of my life, you know, a massive part of my life. I spent almost half my life in Asia. Then I moved to Malaysia after China and uh, was always going to move the R&D lab there, but I, I only really lasted four or five years in, in that place. Okay. Uh, not, the easiest pers- uh, not the easiest place to, to live in, really, or... or after the rose-tinted glass has come off and you see what it's really about. So, yeah, I was I was looking for somewhere else. And then someone suggested, well, how about Cyprus or Greece? Because I just can't do anywhere cold. It's just, you know, the, 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 the least temperature I've seen here in just, well, just under two years of being here is uh, 19 degrees in the winter. Okay, that's which 66 is, uh, degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, that's the coldest. 66 is the coldest it can ever get here. Mm-hmm. So, and I think as the most, the world's third most stable, you know, climate. So I never go over like 27 or 28. Wow. So it's, oh, and just it's, for people who really, were wondering about your earlier comment, uh, 27 is 80 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, yeah. So it's 66 to 80 uh, all year round. Rain every seven or eight months and only for 15 minutes. So, you know, that kind of, you know, suits me fine that 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 kind of living it's good but what i've actually done by being here is i've i've found where i fit in and i think the most important thing in life is to find where you fit in it might might not be the place where you look like you come from or even sound like but it's just where you fit in and and everything comes together since i've i'm here everything's come together i'm more creative i write more music i design more speakers it's just got easier it's just where i should be and it's took me my whole life to to, to find that but yeah it's important to to fit in i think um (laughs) raj i'm guessing you don't listen to any podcasts i don't know okay great i'm not gonna ask you about that i'm i'm not a tv watcher you know it's it's not called a program for nothing (laughs) it really isn't so i i i don't watch much tv i yeah i just just try and learn things i listen to a lot of music I, I, you know having a really really good hi-fi with electrostatics and veil vamps is really important because it's a reference you know sure. and the stuff i do in the studio it's it's uh, it should almost be a law that you you sh- you can't or shouldn't work in this industry at any level unless really you can play music in you know, musical instruments and, and have some theory in music because you really should understand yeah. it. I know a lot of people don't, and they do a good job. I understand, but I can always tell the engineer that that that, that has a musical background that they're you know, it's <clears throat> it's a weird one. When I mix a band live, or all, all I'm I mix for the crowd. I don't mix for me 
And that happens in nightclubs, you know, as well. People who set up nightclubs, a lot of them get it right, you know, and a, a lot of the people that work, you know, with void systems as well, luckily to say, get this right. And they actually tune the system for the audience and for the space and, and for the time to be had. A lot of people just go in and do it for them what they think is right. Mm -hmm. And it's not enough. Who are you to say what, what's right? It's so when I used to mix bands, I, I used to get a lot of work because I used to, I used to go to, you know, <clears throat> people that run, you know, the venues and, and the tours, you know, the man tour managers and the promoters. And I would say, look, you know, I, I will get, especially if it was like a funk band or something like that. I remember doing Azimuth quite a few times and uh, Gil Scott Heron and people like that. And it was just, just brilliant, brilliant shows. And I would say, look, if I can't get everyone dancing on the dance floor and including in the toilets and you can check, <laughs> then I'll, I'll never mix again. I will never mix again. And luckily, I'm I'm still doing. Okay, good. <laughs> but, but I mix I mix for the audience. I mix for the time, for the feeling. That's what I why I do it and what I mix for. I, I'm I'm really not. I, I'm not worried if the high hats have enough 14k. It, in the scheme of things, it's really not important. It's the whole vibe. It's just bringing that audience up. It just gets better, and you know, you just connect with it, and you just. Yeah, that's what you mix for, and you do it more from your heart than from your ears. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I, I like to see people that, that do that, and that's normally people with more of a musical background. Yeah. Know. Well, Raj, where is the best place for people to follow your work? Okay. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that should be so easy. <laughs> uh, I guess they got to call you up. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, if it's my personal life, then yeah, you can check out uh, Rog Mogel uh, Facebook, and most of the the posts are public actually. So you can, if not on Facebook, you can kind of see what I'm about. But that's just that's kind of more the studio stuff I get into. I don't really post design stuff. In fact, I don't really post anything about upcoming designs because really don't want anyone to know we, we we don't want it to upset you know sales of future you know current sure. products so we, we keep things back and also uh the void acoustics facebook page as well and the instagram page has if you want to keep up on void and you know where all the new installs are happening and you know what where we're at and what we're sure. doing uh obviously it's a bit quiet on the festival season but mm. i have to say there's there's a few installs going about there's 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 some still going on and as a company we're kind of doing all right it's it's okay obviously it's it's down but it's it's okay it's uh yeah good yeah i've seen that companies that have a installer contracting division have continued on because those projects started years ago yeah yeah it's, it's also just being able to adapt as mm -hmm. well it's uh we're doing we're seeing you know obviously we do smaller stuff for kind of bars and lounges that actually kind of work in living rooms so we're starting to do kind of quite a few high-end living oh, rooms for cool. people that just want kind of club party systems because they can't yeah, go people out people are trapped so at home of, they want to party at home wow yeah, that makes a yeah. lot of sense so yeah. you just got to think you know yeah it's just yeah you, it's there's an opportunity out there in everything that's kind of bad if if you know how to work it and you and, and you can see it and you know and you can use it so this has not been so bad for us i mean yeah i do feel for the people that have you know the tech crews that are all laid up and the system sitting in warehouses you know because there's no festivals that's that's obviously not good but uh and obviously the nightclubs 
industry is going to be quite decimated. I, this is going to be the last thing they want is lots of sweaty people in a dark club. Sure. So we're, we're going to have a, a while to go yet. Yeah. Well, Raj Mogel, thank you so much for joining me on Sound Design Live. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Nathan. Sound Design. This episode was edited by Noah Feldman. It features two tracks from a band called Harper's Jar. You can find them at harpersjar.bandcamp.com. Sound Design Live is supported by Ellis, Learn Stage Lighting, Joel, Simqui, Bob, Pedro, Martin, Roadie Free Radio, Scott, Ross, Voyager Sound, John, Dave, DC Sound Op, Nicholas, Kuba, Chris, and Terry. You can start supporting Sound Design Live today for as little as $1 over at patreon.com slash sound design live.